Alright, before we begin our time together in God's Word this morning, we're going to ask the Lord to help us. And so let's pray together. Father, we come to You today as a family, as a body, as a church, Lord, that You purchased with Your own blood. And so we, we come to You in this moment, Lord, and we praise Your name today. We magnify Your glory. We magnify Your power to save sinners. And we magnify Your great love for us in Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your grace, Lord. God, we look all around this room and we see brothers and sisters that our souls love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God, that You have placed us in relationship with. And Father, we tell You, Lord, apart from Your work of grace in our life, we wouldn't know You. We wouldn't be in this place today gathered together to worship You. And so we praise You, God. Thank You for pursuing us in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our rebellion. Thank You for overtaking us with Your grace and with Your love. God, thank You for Your sovereign work in our hearts that You caused the light to shine in our souls and we saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that You would continue that great love toward us today. Be good to us, Lord. Be gracious to us, God. We are Your people. God, that same nature that drove You to seek us out in darkness, God, we ask that You would seek us out today. That you would give us reminders in the midst of this life that we live for you about your standard, about eternity. God, we desire to hear from you today. God, we ask you to use your word in this local church and stir us up today as a local church to your mission. God, we pray and we bow the knee and we ask you as a church, Lord, to cause your word to come with power. And make it effective in our life today. God, we ask that you would dethrone idols in our midst. And that you would break us free from the grip of this world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Alright. We're going to start our time off this morning by reading our text in Colossians chapter 1. And what we're going to cover today is verse 24 through verse 27. We say this often and I'll say it again. This is the most important thing that you will hear me say in our next hour together. These are the words of God. And we want to read them as such. We want God to address us this morning. So let's read Colossians chapter 1 beginning with verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations. 
but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God's Word to His local church this morning. So let's spend some time as, as we get oriented before we dive into this text. Let's spend some time reminding ourselves of where we're at in the book of Colossians. We just read this passage. And on the surface, the very clear thing that is presented to us is biographical information about the Apostle Paul. Okay? But the main reason we are gathered together today is not to walk out of this place knowing some biographical information about the Apostle Paul this morning. That's good, but that would be us falling short of why God gave us these words in Holy Scripture. The, this is a reminder given to us this morning by the Holy Spirit of a man who's going to serve as our example and us living the Christian life. And so we're about to study Paul with the aim to imitate him in our life as we follow Jesus Christ. So let's back up for just a moment. Before we land in our passage, let's remind ourselves what is the book of Colossians about? So that's a really good practice to get into as you come to passages in Scripture of what is, what is the context of that passage. And probably one of the most helpful questions you can ask in New Testament letters is what is the point of this book? What's the main thing that Paul intends to get across to us through the letter of Colossians? And some books of the Bible can be very difficult to get down to just that single statement, but Colossians is not. The main point of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Start to finish that Christ is preeminent over all things. Christ is supreme over all things. He has no rivals. He is the highest one. He is the exalted one. Jesus Christ and His supremacy. Paul hits this again and again in this letter. So you think back in recent weeks of what you have learned and what you have heard in this letter to the Colossians. So, so far in chapter 1, Jesus has been exalted. Specifically, beginning in verse 15, the work of Christ in creation was exalted. His work of creation was exalted. And we saw Jesus presented to us as the one who created all things for Himself. Without exception, Jesus made it all and He made it all for Himself. And then, beginning in verse 18, and Ryan continued this last week, we saw the, the theme shift just a little bit, and we saw the work of Christ in redemption exalted. And Jesus Christ was presented to us, not only as the Creator of all things, but the firstborn from the dead, the head of the church, the one who is preeminent in all things, the one whose death reconciles all things in heaven and on earth. And that certainly includes us, those who have repented of our sins and trusted in His gospel. We
we, in verse 21, are the hostile ones that have been presented as the holy and blameless ones in the presence of God. So the work of Christ has been exalted in creation, and then the work of Christ has been exalted in redemption, and then this week, we're beginning to turn the corner, and He is about to exalt Christ all nations' mission. We saw it at the end of verse 23 last week where Paul announces himself as the minister of the gospel, the servant of the gospel. And that's going to be the main theme in the next few paragraphs as we work our way through Colossians. Now, that's where we're going this morning. Paul is about to exalt the all nations mission of Jesus. And what that means for us today is that we're gathered together in the name of Christ. And God intends this reminder about the supremacy of the mission of Christ to be a blessing in your life. Brothers and sisters and everybody in this room. Okay, In the next few minutes, you are going to be reminded of why you are alive on planet earth. Why you take your fingers and put them right here and you have a pulse in this world. This is the mission of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be presented to us today in its supremacy. And my prayer for us as we give attention to this theme about the mission of Jesus Christ. Is that this would bring tremendous clarity in your life. That it would clear up hundreds of things. In regards to what you should do and why you are alive in this world. And what your life should look like in response to the will of God. That's our aim today. That we want to be helped by this reminder. So, I want you to ask a few questions before we go there. And the first is this. Okay, In this present moment, in your life right now. I want you to answer a few questions. I want you to think about how focused your life is right now. The past week, the past month, this past season, could you describe your life as focused? Or to ask it another way, I want you to ask it like this. How much of your living on a daily basis could be described as intentional and purposeful? Or another way to ask it, brothers and sisters and anybody in this room, are there objectives in your life that are overriding, that sit so high in your life that everything else in your life gets up under that objective in order to accomplish that objective? Are you living on purpose? That's the question. The book of Proverbs calls us to wise living and, and a wise life, a life appropriately lived and described in many ways in the book of Proverbs. But one of the ways it's described is it shows us a picture of a man or a woman living on purpose, living with focus, living intentionally, living a calculated life. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 25 and 26. Does this describe you? Here we go. Let your eyes look directly 
forward, and your gaze be straight before you. And then it says, ponder the path of your feet. And so that's the question this morning. Are you doing that? In this present season of your life, are you thinking about how you're living? Are you pondering the path of your feet? And is there something so supreme and so overriding that you are going for that your eyes are fixed directly ahead? Gazed, fixed, forward. Pondering the path of your feet. Is that you? Or, let's ask the other side of that. In this present season of life, do you find yourself living with very little intent, very little clarity, very little purpose, no overriding objective, not pondering the path of my feet, and my eyes not fixed directly in front of me, just floating through the Christian life, not oriented in the will of God. Where do you fall on that scale? And I want us to... To see at the, at the end of the day, these are really our only two options. Okay, As Christians, as followers of Christ, we will either live on purpose or we will waste our life. Okay? We will give a, an account of the stewardship that we have been given. And the Bible reminds us, Jesus said this, that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. And so I want you to think about that. How much more idle days, idle weeks, idle months, and idle years that we live in this world. We will give an account in regards to how we are living and how we are following Christ. And the two options are we will live on purpose, accomplishing our objectives, or we will waste our life. Now, many of you know how difficult this is. Okay? And many of you know how easy it is to slip into a season of life where you get disoriented. There's a lack of clarity that you have lost your focus on those objectives that you were once going after and they now seem hazy to you. This can happen. This can happen many different times in your life. This is a real battle and a real struggle and a real fight to keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. And so I want you to think about the seasons of the Christian life and all the seasons that you will pass through as a follower of Christ. I want you to think about all the options that you will face in life. Endless amounts of decisions. In regards to how you will live and what you will do. Endless amounts. And then you have not only options of you could go this way, this way, this way, or this way. You also have obstacles. That you have that objective in view and then all of a sudden things start coming at you. And things start happening to you that you did not plan. Setbacks. Struggles. Trials. Sufferings. And all of a sudden for a variety of reasons you can find yourself disoriented. It feels like you're... You're walking in fog and that things were not as clear as they used to be. Well, I want to tell you the good news for you today is that the mission of Jesus is a gift for you. 
you find yourself in that season, the mission of Jesus Christ is a gift for you because the mission of Jesus comes in and it clears away the fog that's there in regards to what you should be doing in this world. It reorients us in the will of God for our life. If you find yourself in one of these foggy seasons, I want you to let this verse from Deuteronomy personally address you. Listen to it. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 29. It says this. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is living in this world in such a way that makes sense in the world to come. It's living your life in present in a way that makes sense in eternity. And that's the battle we're in as followers of Christ. That we would discern and that we would remember our latter end. And what the mission of Jesus reminds us is it reminds us of why we are here. Why we are alive in this world. And so we want to walk out of this place this morning with a reminder from the Word of God that no matter the season of life that you find yourself in, no matter the season and no matter the circumstance, you have a mission to accomplish for Jesus Christ. You have work to do for Christ in this world. And this mission is to hold supremacy in your life. It's supposed to be so high and so other overriding that other things bow down to it in order to accomplish it. We have work to do in this world. This is where we're headed today. We're going to cover our passage under three headings. The Christian mission, the Christian's gospel, and the Christian's cross. That's how we're going to unpack this text. Now, verse 24 has a very difficult interpretive issue that we need to navigate. Okay, Regarding the afflictions of Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to skip that. Okay? And before you stone me, we're going we're gonna to skip it in order to come back to it at the very end. We're not, gonna, we're not going to shy away from difficult text in Scripture, but I think that if you understand the context around this verse, and we come to it last, it's going to help you understand verse 24 and respond appropriately as we leave this place today. So we're going to skip it, and we're going to come back to verse 24. And so let's begin in verse 25 with the Christian mission. Let's read it again. This is Paul. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. The Apostle Paul, he announces himself in these verses as a servant with a stewardship. Okay, I want both of those things to be clear to you. 
Or you could say it this way. He's a minister with a mission. He has been given a responsibility and that has brought his life into a blazing focus. And this is our example this morning. The Apostle Paul, the missionary. Okay? And we're given an example this morning of a man who has simplified his life in such a way that he lives in this world with tremendous purpose. He is accomplishing objectives. He is able to summarize his life in these little bitty statements. I'm a servant with a stewardship. I'm a minister with a mission. That's why I'm here. That is why I am in this world. Now if you'll notice... In verse 25, he defines this stewardship and this responsibility. He believes that he has a responsibility given to him by God to make the Word of God known. To make the Word of God known. Now in the context of this paragraph, that phrase, the Word of God, is shorthand, it's a synonym for the Gospel. It means the Gospel. The word mystery in the same in the same sentence it means the same thing. Those are synonyms for the gospel. So let's get this really clear in our mind. Okay, this man is a servant, and his objective is to make known the gospel. That's evangelism. That is his mission. That is the reason why he is here. And if you've read the New Testament, you know this. The man eats, sleeps, and breathes the mission of Jesus Christ. Does he not? This is what's on his mind in every season. He accomplishes this mission in the midst of great difficulty, distractions, demonic strategy set against him in his life. And nothing stops the man from preaching the gospel of Jesus. This is our example this morning, the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to say this. In one sense, the Apostle Paul is not an example for us. There is a sense to which the Apostle Paul is an apostle. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. And in that sense, he accomplishes a role in church history that is never repeated again. So, here's what we mean. He saw Jesus Christ. You didn't. He wrote Scripture. You didn't. He writes to the universal church with the authority of Christ. We don't do that. Okay, That would be inappropriate for us to imitate in His life. But there is another sense in which He is an example to every follower of Christ. Every follower of Christ. And many times you see this scattered throughout His letters... In the New Testament, he, he uses his life and he writes about his life and he considers his life to be a standing example for other followers of Christ to imitate. And that's how we want to come to this passage today. We want to imitate his example. Okay? He is a missionary, eating, sleeping, breathing the mission of Jesus and we want to imitate His example. Now we freely confess 
that our role in this mission, it will look different than the Apostle Paul. Amen? We cannot replicate what he did. We don't even try. Our role is different than his role. And we would even say this as followers of Christ, that even across this room, we have different roles in regards to the mission of Jesus. But what we want to be really clear is that every follower of Christ has a responsibility in regards to the mission of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is very clear about this. This is the first brick in the wall that we're building this morning. You have to be convinced of this. Okay? You have to see that you are responsible to do something in regards to this mission. So let's take two texts. And the first is this. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19, we have what is known as the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gave a mission to His church. I want you to listen to it in verse 19. I want you to be reminded of it this morning. Here's what He says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, more than anything else, the most fundamental thing that the word make disciples means is to evangelize. It's to preach the gospel. That's how disciples are made. They believe the gospel. Okay? So, more than anything else, what Jesus has commanded His church to do is to evangelize the nations. To preach the gospel. This is the Great Commission. Now, if we refuse to evangelize, that means that we disobey the Great Commission. And in the context of what Jesus said around that commission, it means that we disobey the one who, listen, has all authority in heaven and on earth. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like wise living. That we would live in this world and give an account in the world to come that we disobey the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. We are responsible to evangelize the nations. I want this to be really clear to every Christ follower in the room. Now, to make it even more clear, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 is a very familiar verse. And I want us to read it together. Or better yet, I'm going to start it and I want somebody to finish it. This is how familiar this verse is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, we rightly and appropriately Celebrate that verse. That verse is glorious grace from God. That the old is passed away and we are new. That means 
We have been raised from the dead. We have new life. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. Completely appropriate to celebrate and to worship God for what He has done for us in Jesus. The very next verse we are less familiar with. And we are tempted to downplay it. Let's read it together. Verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now I want you to follow the logic here. Okay? Listen. Every person that has been reconciled to God has been given the ministry of reconciliation. They go together. You can't have one without the other. To be reconciled to God means that you have received a stewardship. So, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that every single person that is made new is also at the same time made an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Reconciled to God and you receive a ministry. And you are receiving, you have received a stewardship from God. Now, there's no way around this. Okay? It is sinful to desire the reconciliation and not the ministry of reconciliation. We don't get to do that. But that's the temptation for us, that we want the gift of the gospel, but not the stewardship of the mission. And so I want us to be really clear about this. We are commanded, we are responsible to evangelize. We are responsible, not in the same way the Apostle Paul was, we are responsible to make the Word of God known. Every one of us. We have a responsibility to speak of Jesus Christ. To announce His gospel. Every single one of us. This is our objective. This is, the, this is the, the mission of Jesus. That is to hold supremacy in our life. If we ignore this objective to evangelize. To speak of Jesus. We will waste our life. We will waste our life. We are here as ambassadors and we have a ministry of reconciliation. And our life is to, to be marked by faithfulness to the mission. You heard JR pray it just a minute ago. Help us to be faithful to preach Christ in this world. That's the idea that we're coming around with this text. That's what, how we want to respond to this man's example. Is we want to be faithful servants in regards to the mission of Jesus. Now, if you have been around sermons like this for any length of time, I know, I know how this goes. Okay? And, and you're not the only one feeling this way. There's some of you in this room that you are under tremendous guilt, even now. As we unpack these things, you're reminded in your life that this has been an ongoing failure for many years. You need to know that that is a common response as we are reminded about our responsibility to evangelize. And I don't want you to stay in that place. I want to help you as your brother in Christ. I want to help this local church that not only would we be 
convicted and want to spend our life in faithfulness, I want to help you turn the corner and that you would begin to take practical steps in obeying this mission. And so in order to do that, I want to give this local church a challenge. This is going to every member of this church that's hearing my voice today. This is a challenge for you, a practical challenge. And here it is. I want to encourage in regards to what we're seeing. Okay, I want to pause for just a second in this text. In response to what we are seeing about stewardship and mission, I want to encourage every member of this church to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus Christ before the end of this year. Before the end of 2016, that you would resolve to speak to someone about Christ. Now, if you pray for this church, and if you have your bearings about who we are as a local church, that's about 150 members, give or take. Okay? And that means is that if we were to do that, if we were to accept that challenge and move in the direction of faithfulness, there would be 150 people that would hear about Jesus Christ in the next three weeks. So that's the challenge. We want to be faithful. Not just some all across this body that we would take up our ministry of reconciliation. Not trying to be like one another. we got different roles in the mission. But every one of us are responsible to make known God's Word. Now, I want to help you. Okay? And in order for you to have that conversation, I want to give you some thoughts about how to get that conversation started. I want to give you a question to help you get this conversation started. I want this to be exceedingly practical for you. I want you to walk out of this place with a plan to do something different in your life and not just walk out of here with guilt that you're not evangelizing. Okay? So here's a practical question that I'm going to give you. You don't have to use it. This is meant to encourage you to help you of how to help you start a conversation about Jesus. Okay? And so I want you to think about this. In the next three weeks, okay? In the midst of a conversation with somebody that you might know well, somebody that you might know not so well, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker with a cubicle right beside yours, maybe it's a, uh, an acquaintance in a coffee shop, maybe it's one of your family members in a few weeks at Christmas dinner, okay? All kinds of scenarios. In the course of a normal conversation, with that person, I want to encourage you to ask them this question. And the question is this. Do you believe the gospel? I want you to ask somebody that question. Do you believe the gospel? And based off their response, I want to give you a follow-up question. Okay? This is meant to help you get into these conversations about Jesus. Do you believe the gospel? And, and if that person were to tell you yes, which is the vast majority of people in the area of the world that we live in, I want you to ask them something like this. Since you believe the gospel, 
You know how important it is to get the gospel right. Do you mind if I ask you what you understand the gospel to be? And I want you to try to use those questions as an opportunity to get into a conversation with somebody about the most important things in the universe. What do they think about God? What do they think about sin? What do they think about Jesus Christ? How do they understand that that gospel is to be responded to? This is helpful. It's meant to help you. And if that person tells you no, I do not believe the gospel, I want you to ask them something like this. I want you to tell them that you believe, I believe it's very important that you understand exactly what it is that you are rejecting. I believe it's very important that you understand what you are rejecting. Do you mind if I ask you what you understand the Christian message to be? Do you mind if, if I ask you what it is exactly that you are rejecting? And based off of these questions, I'm encouraging you, try to get in conversations about the gospel. Conversations from that place about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, sufficiency of Christ, the glorious death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, are you saying that every person that you ask those questions to, that you will be able to get into a fruitful gospel conversation? It doesn't work like that. Absolutely not is, is, is what I'm saying in regards to, you mean that'll work? You mean, no, these aren't magic, magic questions, okay? This is meant to encourage you to get out there and begin to attempt to speak about Jesus. Our objective is not to be received by every person. Do you understand that? That is not our objective. Whether someone receives what we're saying or rejects what we're saying. In fact, we don't get to decide that. Our objective is to speak about Jesus. Our stewardship is to make the Word of God known. Our confidence is not in little tricks and questions and presentations presented with enough skill and sincerity that we could induce people into believing what we're saying. That's not our confidence. Our confidence is in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 26. The Gospel in verse 26 is described as something that was once hidden and yet now it is revealed. Take careful notice there. It is not revealed to everybody. Who is it revealed to Verse 26, the saints. Look at verse 27. Gets even more specific. That revelation to the saints is according to God's sovereign choice. We don't get to pick who receives the gospel. We don't. That's not our work. It is the work of our sovereign God. He is the only one that can cause a dead sinner to see the glory of Jesus Christ. You can put some facts and some structure in people's mind. You can. You can teach them some things about what the Bible says about Jesus, His nature, and what He did. 
But here's what you can't do. You cannot cause that gospel to come with conviction, with power, and with authority. You can't turn the lights on in someone's soul and they see not just facts about Christ, but the beauty and the glory and the value of the gospel that you are preaching. This is the work of God. That revelation is the work of God. He is the only one that can take it from hidden to revealed. So let's see this. Verse 26, the work of God. That's His work. Well, look at this. We need to be really careful here. Verse 26 only happens as verse 25 happens. You see that? God reveals Christ as we preach Christ. And so our confidence is the sovereignty of God. But here's what we don't mean. We're not using the sovereignty of God in salvation as a mask to put on that hides our lack of boldness and faithfulness to evangelize the nations. That is a perversion of the sovereignty of God. We use the sovereignty of God as confidence. As I do verse 25, God will do verse 26. As I put the gospel in the ground, God will cause it to bear fruit. That's our confidence. God does His work as we preach Christ. And this is according to, verse 27, His sovereign work, His sovereign choosing. So that's our mission, to make known the Gospel, to make known the Word of God. We want to spend our life doing these things. We want to be faithful stewards of the mission of Jesus. Now, let's transition. Very next point in our text this morning is if we're going to do that, if we're going to be faithful to speak about Christ and to preach His Gospel, then how important is it for you to know His Gospel? You see that? Can't preach it unless you know it. Can't faithfully spread it to the nations unless you faithfully understand it. And so this is our second heading this morning. The Christian's Gospel. Christian's Gospel. Look at verse 28. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I want you to think about what you've heard in Colossians. Up until this point in the letter, the emphasis of what the gospel has provided for us has been on the forgiveness of sins. Really quick, back in verse 14, we, we are told that through the death of Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last week, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, we were reminded that when Jesus died for us, the one doing evil deeds, us, we were presented holy and blameless before God. Forgiveness of sins. Now, are you cold to that? Are you cold to the good news of that? I was thinking, even as we were singing to the Lord before we gathered around this text, we were singing that first communion song and we said this, the nails and the thorns and the spear were mine. You remember that this morning? 
that that sin that was placed on Jesus Christ was yours and belonged to you. And the wages of that sin was death. How good of news is forgiveness of sins that the nails, the thorns, the spear, the wrath of Almighty God that should have fell on me has fallen on our substitute, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Don't ever get cold to the forgiveness of sin. The most immediate need to every person in this room is to be forgiven of your sin. Do you understand that? You need it more immediate than you need anything else. You need other things, but you need to be rescued from danger. You are in a dangerous place outside of Christ. Under the wrath of God. Eternal punishment for sin. And on His cross, Jesus takes our punishment and all who trust Him receive forgiveness of Sin, this is the gospel that we announce to the world. But verse 28, look at it. Forgiveness of sin is only the beginning of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean. Do you realize how valuable this message that you have been entrusted? Do you realize how valuable this message is? Look at these words in verse 28 that's described. It's rich. It's glorious. It's mysterious. Do you understand that? The gospel is not true, just true. It's not just facts that you understand about Jesus. It is beautiful. It grips the human heart, the truth about Christ. And in order to present the glory of the gospel to us, look at what is on general. The highest gift of the gospel. Do you understand this? When you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive forgiveness of sin, no doubt about it. No more condemnation for you. But what we see in verse 28 is that the gospel is not just good news of forgiveness of sin, it's good news of the indwelling Christ. We get God. We get God when we believe the gospel. The highest gift of the gospel is that sinners like you and me, we receive Christ. I had a, a sister in this church just a couple of days ago remind me of the beauty of this. And she didn't even realize she, she was talking about something else. But she was boasting in God and, and she reminded me of that that when we trust, when we repent, when we believe, God gave us more than the Bible. You understand that? God gave us more than a testimony about Jesus Christ. God gave us Christ. We have the eternal Son of God in us. Present possession. The indwelling Christ. The personal presence of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? The Lord of glory lives in you, Christian. The Lord of glory. Christ in you. The Christ of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. 
See the contrast here. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Verse 16. The one who made all things for Himself. Verse 18. The firstborn from the dead. The head of the church. Verse 19. The one who is preeminent in all things. Reconciles everything in the universe by His death. Dwells in you. The you of Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. The one who is alienated from God, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. Not only did He bear your punishment, He came to dwell in you. As His temple, you had the personal presence of the Lord Jesus. And what we say to these things is praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. You realize how rich that statement is. All I have is Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want your life to count? You want a full life? This is the richest experience that we can know in this world. Christ in us. That we are satisfied with the Lord Jesus and the portion of Himself that He has given to us. It's the happiest we can be in this world. Satisfied with Jesus. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. And He is the present possession of every believer. Christ in you. Christ in you. You have Him now. Christ in you. But the fact that you have Him now, it doesn't even stop there. The glory of the Gospel. The fact that you have Christ in you serves as a ground to assure you of a future promise. So He gave you Himself as the indwelling Christ and, and it doesn't even stop there. We're reminded in this text that every Christian, everyone who is in Christ Jesus, your destiny is eternal glory. Never ending. Never fading away. That God has willed to share His glory with everyone who is in Christ Jesus. He is our hope of glory. And so He's our portion in this world. But He also anchors us that He is the hope for the glory of God and the world to come. And more than anything else, eternal glory is not about streets of gold. It's not about um, hundreds of other things that we will experience in heaven. You know, it wouldn't be glorious if we went to heaven and the God of glory wasn't even there. More than anything else, hope for glory is our longing and our assurance that there's coming a day where the indwelling Christ that is in me now will stand before me face to face. And I will see the face of Jesus Christ. And I will be satisfied in Him, in His face through endless ages. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a reminder... That the gospel that we carry to the nations is not just facts, it's glorious. In fact, the word gospel means good news. This is good news. This is not something that we read like a phone book. 
This brings joy to our heart. We are speaking about our Savior when we speak about Jesus. It is the good news of the glory of Christ. And so this helps us see evangelism and our responsibility to make the gospel known to the nations. This is not just dry duty. This is privilege. This is privilege. I don't even deserve to know about the gospel. I don't even deserve to know about Jesus Christ. Much less announce Him to the world. It is our privilege to speak of Jesus. The good news of His gospel. The good news of His glory. And we need to fight to see our responsibility towards this mission as a high privilege from God. Before we finish today, this text is going to remind us that it is a privilege, but evangelism and making God's Word known is a privilege that comes to us with a cost. Okay? So let's close this morning with the Christian's cross. And what we're doing in verse 24 is we're zoning in on the example of this man, the Apostle Paul. What we're going to see about his life is that this man was so satisfied with the indwelling Christ. So satisfied, content in Jesus and I don't need anything else. So certain that no matter what happens in this world, I'm on my way to glory. So satisfied in Christ, so certain of glory that this man was set free to joyfully suffer in order to bring this gospel to the nations. Let's read it in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. Alright, here we go. The difficulty of verse 24, it ought to jump out and hit you like a Mack truck. Okay? How in the world can we talk about anything being lacking in the afflictions of Christ? And you know, if I wasn't reading a verse from the Bible, I would expect somebody to tackle me for saying that, you know, in front of in front of everybody. This is borderline heresy to talk about there's being something lacking in the afflictions of Christ. But we're reading this straight from Scripture. Okay? So we want to understand this. We want to understand what this means. And the easiest way to do that is to cover what it does not mean first. Okay? So, no chance in all of God's universe and, and giving you a hundred different lives to study this and figure this out. There is no chance in all of God's universe that this verse means that the cross was insufficient to save sinners. Never can mean that. Absolutely never can mean that. The entire Word of God stands in contradiction to that statement. So, Paul is not schizophrenic. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. The man knows what he's talking about. Already in Colossians, he's talked about the cross. Talked about it already. Verse 14, it's the cross, it's through the cross that we receive redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when he talks about the cross in verse 19 and 20, he doesn't say little insufficient things about the cross. He says this, through the cross of Jesus, He reconciled all things to Himself, whether things in heaven or things on earth. 
sounds like a sufficient work to me. There's nothing lacking. What Jesus did on this cross touches the entire created cosmos. Nothing left untouched about the death of Jesus. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the cross of Christ is spoken of as a finished work. John 19.30, Jesus dying on the cross. He says, it is finished. Twice in the letter to Hebrews, we get statements like that. This, that when Jesus died on His cross, He secured for us an eternal redemption. That's Hebrews 9, verse 12. And then that comes to us with such grace and such power and such authority. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, He perfected us forever with one sacrifice. That's how powerful the death of Jesus is for sinners. And so let's get this really clear. In regards to salvation and paying for our sins, there is no deficiency in the cross of Christ. It is gloriously sufficient to save us from our sins. What does it mean? Glad you asked. I do believe that we get some help interpreting this passage from the same phrase being used in the letter of Paul to the Philippians. So flip back in your Bibles just a few pages and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. What does this mean? On your way there, what's clear in the book of Philippians, you see this in the last chapter, is that this local church, the church at Philippi, sends Paul a gift, a financial gift, and Paul is in prison. And he needs to be taken care of, and so they send him a monetary gift to meet his needs. Okay? In chapter 2 of Philippians, quickly look in verse 25, and we meet a man, his name is Epaphroditus, servant of Jesus. In verse 25, Paul calls this man a minister, the minister of my need. Okay? So what this means in Philippians is that Epaphroditus is the one who delivers that gift from the Philippian church to Paul in a Roman prison. He is the minister of Paul's need. Now, look at verse 30. This is the interesting description that we get of this man and his ministry, Epaphroditus. Read it with me. It says this, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, these are the same words that we see in our passage Back in Colossians, the same author, written around the same time. This is a really good cross-reference for us. That if we can understand what's going on here, we can understand what's going on back in Colossians. So I want you to think about this scenario. Got a gift? Church of Philippi? You know, maybe they have a box, a bag. They put some money in the box or bag. And they give it to Epaphroditus. Okay? Now, you think about this. There is something about that gift that is lacking. We see that in verse 30. Epaphroditus is filling up what was lacking in their service to Paul. 
And here's what it, it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that this local church put $1,000 or whatever the Roman currency was, the denarius, uh, doesn't mean that they put a thousand in, that Epaphroditus added another hundred, handed it to Paul, and in that way he filled up what is lacking. This is not an indictment that the church at Philippi gave Paul an insufficient amount of funds. That's not what it means. Okay? In fact, it seems pretty clear. The only thing lacking in the church at Philippi ministering to Paul in a prison in Rome is what? That money in that box or that sack has got to do what? It's got to get there. Okay? And the way that Epaphroditus fills up what is lacking is he delivers that gift to that Roman prison. And that delivery of that sufficient gift is counted as this man filling up what is lacking. You see that? Now, I want you to walk that same understanding back into Colossians. There is nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ as far as Him paying for our sins. But Paul is described in very similar language as Epaphroditus. He is in some way filling up what is lacking. What is the man doing? What is lacking? And there's only one answer to this. The only thing that could be lacking in regards to the afflictions of Jesus Christ is they have to be delivered to the nations. They have to be presented to the nations. Do you understand that? The gospel is only good news if it's preached and believed. And so in His ministry of making the Word of God known, He is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of of Christ, brothers and sisters, this is another reference to evangelism in this text, start to finish. This passage is about making known Christ among the nations. This is the only thing lacking in regards to the gospel is it has to be delivered to the nations. One more thing I want you to see here. Verse 24. As Paul is filling up those afflictions by delivering and presenting the afflictions of Christ, as he is doing that, our text says that it produces afflictions in his own flesh, in his own body. And he's rejoicing in it. So you have reference to the sufferings or afflictions of Christ and the sufferings of Paul in his body. And I want to remind us, this is, this is the cost of the mission. It's always like that. The mission of Jesus always costs us suffering. There's no way around it. Presenting the afflictions of Christ to the nations will produce suffering. In our body we will fill up what is lacking. Do you see this? There's no way around it. We want to live a life that matters if we want to accomplish our objectives. We have to be willing to pursue the mission of Jesus, even at great risk to our life, even at the cost of personal suffering. David Platt says this, missions without suffering is like Christianity without a cross. Christianity without a cross is a false version of Christianity. 
And missions without suffering is a false version of the Christian mission. It's never been like that. The gospel spreads through hardship. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer without exception. This is part of the cost. And so here's what we have here. We have a man who is filling up the afflictions of Christ and is producing suffering in his body. He's writing this letter that we're reading about Jesus, that we're studying about Jesus. The man is writing the letter from a Roman jail, from Roman prison. Why is he there? Why is Paul in jail? Why is he in prison? He's not there because he was just so nice that they said, let us put him in prison. Why is he suffering? Why is he in a Roman prison? Not because he's so nice. Not because he's the couch potato. Why is he in jail? Because he's a gospel preacher. Because he is announcing Jesus Christ among the nations. He is preaching Christ. Eat, sleep, and breathing the mission of Jesus. And he is being persecuted. So I want you to see that. He's suffering in his body. And what is producing that suffering? It's not always like this. There are other types of suffering. But this specific type of suffering is triggered by evangelism. And that's a reminder for us. There are sufferings that you can avoid in this life by neglecting the mission of Jesus. It's true. You have that choice. You can avoid some sufferings in this life by retreating from the mission that God has called you to. The only problem is you have to consider your latter end. You understand that? You will give a stewardship. You will give an account for how you have lived and what you have done in this world. So this is our example this morning of a man who lays down his life at great personal sacrifice in order to pursue the mission of Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you making some uncomfortable decisions in your life that thrust you out into the mission of Christ? This is our decision. Okay? We're summing up and we're faced with a choice of how we will respond to this reminder today about the mission of Jesus. We will either pick comfort or we will pick sacrifice and suffering. And I want to remind us, okay? Jesus told us this. He made this really clear several different places in the gospel specifically, but I'll read you one. Okay? Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Let's read it together. Jesus said this to all. Hang on, let me say that again. Jesus said this to all. Got it? Not just some in the room. Jesus said this to all. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So here's the reminder as we walk out of this place today. If you are not taking up your cross, you are not following Jesus Christ. His call 
is to sacrifice, deny yourself, die to yourself, even lose your life to find life, to save life. This is the path to glory. This is the path to reward. This is the path to blessing. This is the happiest that you can be in this world. Paul, when he is longing to know Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he says something like this, that I may know Him. And then he says, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made like Him in His death. When we retreat back from these things, we forfeit closeness and communion with Christ in this world. This is who He walks with. The one who embraced the cross. The ones who deny themselves. The ones who lose their life. And I want to make this really clear for you. As far as in regards to the mission, the choice is really simple. You're going to pick comfort or you're going to pick cross. You are going to desire to live a comfortable life or you are going to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. I want to say this. I am not cookie cutting anybody in this room that you have to look like anybody else. You have a responsibility. Taking up your cross, denying yourself, it means something for you in regards to the mission of Jesus. Don't straw man out of that. Don't say, well, we don't have to be like each other. I agree with that. I amen that all day long. We have to be faithful. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. And the choice at the end of the day is comfort or cross. Which will you choose? So I'll remind you as we close. The mission of Jesus Christ. It is not going to be fulfilled by the comfortable. You understand that? The Bible does not say blessed are the comfortable. It says blessed are the persecuted. It's always been this way. The mission of Jesus is going to cause but it's going to be worth it all. And that's the reminder that I want to leave you with. It's going to be worth it all. This is the path that ends in eternal life. If you find yourself daydreaming and meditating and always gravitating towards how can I live the easiest life as possible, most comfortable life as possible, with this me, everybody liking me, I'm telling you, you are on a dangerous path. The Bible says that the road that leads to hell is broad and easy. Path and a longing for an easy life is deceptive. That is destructive mindset. Mindset that you long for everybody to like you. That is a destructive mindset. The Bible says, woe to you when all speak well of you. This is our decision. And I'm calling all of us, myself included, that we would be reminded of the choice. That we would find ourselves daydreaming about comforts and ease and that we would cut that off and begin to hate those things. And even embrace suffering and embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this commandment in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, super simple. Suffer for the gospel by the power of God. Is that on your bucket list? <laughs> you see that? How do we gravitate? Why don't we daydream about, instead of about how easy my life can be, how much people can like me, 
why don't we daydream about how can I be fruitful for Jesus Christ? And why don't we say things like, Jesus, I want you more than I want to be comfortable. I want the fellowship of your sufferings. I want my life to not to be leisure, but fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. We would say things like that if we knew our ladder in If we discern our ladder in suffer for the gospel by the power of God. I want to give you a few lines from an old hymn. It summarizes what we're talking about really well. It says, Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? And then he says, Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toll, endure the pain, supported by Thy Word. Brothers and sisters, we have to lay down our life and pursue the mission of Jesus Christ. We will live like civilians or we will be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That is our decision. And I want to close with this prayer of Paul. And before I read it in Acts 20, I want to remind us, uh, this is the only thing that makes sense in light of eternity. Retreating from the mission, pulling back to the mission, indifference to the mission, Five seconds in eternity and you'll regret all of it. This is the only thing that makes sense in light of eternity. And I want to say this. Every ounce of suffering that you experience in this world for the sake of the gospel is worth it. Every inconvenience, everything that makes you uncomfortable or less than you would have it, every single ounce that you experience of suffering in this world for the gospel is worth it. There's coming a day where you're going to be standing in glory, face to face with Jesus Christ. And the reward that you receive on that day is going to be so glorious, so worth it, that all this suffering that you went through to take the gospel to your neighbor and to the nations, it's not even going to be worth comparing with the glory that you receive in Christ Jesus. It is worth it. And so let's close with this prayer from the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is why you are alive in this world. Father, we ask You to stir us up as a local church. Lord, we do want to be faithful. We want to respond to You and we want to be faithful servants. And God, we ask You to be gracious to us as a church. Pour out Your grace on this church, Lord. Stir up evangelistic zeal more and more all across this church. Help us to honor You, Lord Jesus, and seeing, announcing Your Gospel as a privilege. And God, we ask You to be gracious to us, Lord. God, we ask You to use these conversations about Christ. Use 
the sowing of your seed. And Lord, we ask you to save souls, Lord. We ask you to cause the dead to live in our midst. God, use us as instruments in your mission to glorify yourself among the nations. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.